the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, at least for me, on a Wednesday that doesn't feel like a Wednesday. I'll tell you, I get messed up in these holiday schedules, and the day doesn't feel like the day it's supposed to be. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, pretty much anything and everything on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and take advantage of the hands-free feature of your phone and just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Like, I think everybody, we got a lot going on tonight. I have the privilege of teaching Isaiah chapter 63. We're just right at the end of... The, the prophecy of Isaiah, and this is uh, an especially significant Bible study. I shouldn't say that because they all are. We're, we're in the Great Tribulation or into the Millennial Reign of Jesus in the end chapters, and it just gives me so much hope for our future, not the future that we have in this country, not the future of uh, our, our political chaos, just the one time when there will be one righteous judge sitting on his throne and we will all live under his rules. I can't wait for that moment. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So uh, that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Um, t- tomorrow, I know Paula will talk about this, I'm sure, on the program tomorrow, um, is our annual children's Christmas play. When I say children, I mean uh, we're going to have two-year-olds up to uh, even some kids have graduated from here and are now in college or or parents or in the military. Um, And they come back and they do do a number, but it's always a great time. It is at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. It starts at 6.30 tomorrow. That means I'm going to have to really hurry to get there when we get off the the air tomorrow's program. But uh, Judson High School Performing Arts Center at 6.30. It's absolutely free, and I promise you it'll be better than anything. You could spend the evening um, looking at your computer or watching television or anything else. Uh, we'd love to have you come. Dress is casual, uh, but you will really have a blast. And and uh, their Christmas message is usually better than the Christmas message that I follow up with on the following Sunday. So that is tomorrow at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. And again, I said Paula will be here tomorrow, the date day edition of the program, so 
you can get ready for that. Okay, let me get to questions that have been sent in while we await uh, your calls and questions. This is our first one from our email inbox. This one comes from Chip. He says, would you please explain Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, also are unbelievers more susceptible to being demonically possessed in a place like a desert than in a place like a jungle where it's more humid. Let me read it, uh, Chip, and then I'll get to the explanation of uh, the passage and answers to your questions. Verse 43 says, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be with this evil generation. Um, Chip, what, what Jesus is doing here is simply, uh, there, there's a lot that we don't understand. We, we don't know uh, why uh, demonic spirits don't want to be out of bodies. Um, we, we don't know. We know from the example of Legion, the, the demons who were occupying him, uh, begged Jesus to, to let them go into a herd of swine rather than to be just out in, in the arid places. And by arid places, all that's meant is it's not in the water. They're just out there uh, disembodied. And for, for some reason, it, we, we can't possibly understand uh, that is not a good situation for the demonic spirits. So what Jesus is saying, uh, d- describing the ministry of casting out demons, um, if we cast out a demon and the person from whom the demon is cast out um, isn't replaced by the Spirit of God, then those demons will eventually come back and they will inspect to see if if the Spirit of God is there. If not, then he, it's pretty clear he'll go get seven other demons more powerful than him and the, 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 the current situation will be worse than it was at the beginning. I think the, the counsel for us there, Chip, is, um, you know, we shouldn't be out casting out demons uh, unless somebody wants to receive Jesus Christ. We're really not doing them a favor. And that can be tricky because casting out demons is um, difficult. It's it's uh, a demon's lie. That's what they do. Uh, I have been in situations where uh, we've 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 cast out demons from people in the past. Um, not frequently, thank you. Thankfully, um, this is not something anybody should look for. It's not something anybody wants to do. This is one of those things when you've got to be right with God. You've got to be walking with the Lord. And the power of the Holy Spirit has to rest upon you. Because if not, then things can get really, really difficult. So why they want to be uh, in bodies rather than be disembodied, I don't know. Uh, but um, um, the, 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 as to the question about uh, unbelievers more susceptible to being demonically possessed, it's not a, a, a physical location. Uh, it is a condition of the heart. Uh, a lot of unbelievers invite demonic oppression, which can turn to possession. Uh, they give Satan so many openings. Remember, his job is to kill, to rob, and destroy. So that's what he's going to do. Um, again, there's no no other explanation of this. So there are things, some things that are going to have to remain uh, unanswered for us until we get to heaven and Jesus supplies the answers. Here is my next question. It is from Theo. How should Christians view our immigration policies and keep the commandment to love one another? You know, Theo, uh, I don't think our our immigration policies nationally isn't something that Christians have any impact on uh, other than through our prayers. Um, You know, we Christians are supposed to obey the law. We're supposed to submit to our governing authorities unless, of course, they ask us to do something that contradicts the word of God. But the truth is, and I think, Theo, sometimes we get involved in things um, that are way beyond our scope of of influence. So I don't worry about what our government's immigration policies ought to be. Uh, I worry about and pray for the individual people 
uh, our job as a Christian Theo is to to love our neighbor, uh, whoever that neighbor is or whatever he or she may look like, no matter where they come from. Uh, we are to ask God daily for opportunities to share our faith. So, for example, if we come across uh, some who are to pray for them, to share Jesus with them, and open our hearts, our homes, and our churches to them. It's an amazing thing with you. I'm a pastor. You know, pastors pray for their churches to grow all the time. Lord, bring us more people. And then there are some churches that when illegals are invited uh, to the church, they don't want um, the people that God sent to be there. So don't worry about what the government's policies. You can do nothing to affect that or influence it. We have a vote, one vote, uh, whenever we, we vote for our elected representatives. However, we should aggressively be ministering the love of God. Now let me expand the question just a little bit, Theo. Um, the same thing should be true for the homeless population. We don't have answers for the homeless problems in our nation. We've seen that the disaster when cities have taken it upon themselves to open up their city streets and city sidewalks. And, well, we want to be kind and we want to be compassionate. It's not their fault. Um, that doesn't work. There is no answer to these problems until Jesus comes back. But you and I, you know, we can be kind toward, loving toward those where people that normally we wouldn't have anything to do with. So let the rest of the world look down on illegals. Let the rest of the world look down on the homeless population. As Christians, our policy, individually and personally, ought to be to keep the commandment to love one another. So, again, we have no influence whatsoever with our national policies, our immigration laws, beyond the vote. Uh, the rest of the time, uh, our job is to share Jesus and to love people whoever it is that we, that we meet. Thanks for the question. Let's go to Darren calling from San Antonio on line one. Darren, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hello. I was just um, wondering, when there's like a believer that says, well, that they're a believer and they're still sinning, as another believer, should we be holding them accountable and telling them that what they're doing is wrong or is it more important to just, like, to be um, making sure that everything I'm doing is right? Kind of like the verse, like, um, make sure you take the take the plank out of your eye before you try yeah. to take the speck out of their eye. Yeah, Darren, I'm glad you used that verse. Um, we got some kind of back feedback. Uh, Darren, I'm glad you used that verse because... Um, but before looking out at anybody, we should always look in. Now, while saying that, uh, if this is somebody in your life, um, you need, you, you have an obligation to tell them the truth in love. If somebody who professes to be a Christian, um, and I find out that that person is, is living with somebody they're not married to, or they're having sex with somebody they're not married to, or if they're doing drugs, or if they're drinking too much, if they use foul language. It's our responsibility as believers to go to them in love and tell them what you're doing is wrong. And, and Darren, I take a pretty aggressive approach with this. I don't mean aggressive in the terms I get in somebody's face, but if somebody that, that, that I have knowledge of as a Christian and they start behaving like that, then what I'm going to tell them is, well, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian. And they'll look at me and say, well, I am a Christian pastor. And I'll say, but... But Christians don't act the way you're acting. I can't tell you, Darren, how many times I've had marriages falling apart. And, and the people I'm confident are Christians will sit in my office and I'll say, wait a minute, I thought you guys were Christians. Well, we are. Well, when's somebody going to start acting like Christ? So, Darren, you have a responsibility to tell people. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We're often going to be accused of judging people. Um, but that but that can't matter. We owe it to people when they're engaging in sinful behavior to tell them that God, his heart is broken because of their behavior, that if they proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior, they need to start acting like he is. 
and you might lose some friends that way, especially if it's family members. They might not want, want anything to do with you. But remember, uh, Paul said, I'm a debtor to both the Greek and the Jew. Well, in the same way, we're a debtor, especially to those who call themselves Christians. And that very often when you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, confront somebody in love, it very often happens that it's a witnessing opportunity. And I've had people, I've had people completely reject me. Oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I just disagree, those kind of things. But I've also had people come to me and say, thank you for saying that because I've been really burdened by this sin in my life and I didn't know what to do about it. And now I know. So Darren, you have to do both. Make sure your your life is is being used for God's glory. Make sure that you're walking with Jesus. But you've also got to be willing to go to people because you love them. And that's what the way I would preface it. Because I love you, I have to say because of what you, you, you're doing or because of what I heard you say, that that is not honoring to Christ. Is there something I can help you with? Is there some way I can pray for you? And there's all kinds of different approaches. If you let the Holy Spirit lead there, and uh, he will give you those opportunities. And I promise you, with that heart, the Lord is pleased. Good question. I thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Patty wants to know, why doesn't God let us do more of what we want to do as long as we are serving him? Well, Patty, the answer to your question is that you're not serving him if you're doing what you want to do instead of what God wants us to do. I think, Patty, we get... um, culturally confused when it comes to to what calling Jesus Lord means. It means that he calls the shots. Jesus said to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. That means say no to you so you can say yes to him. Pick up your cross. Luke adds the word daily and follow him. And anybody and everybody who's trying to serve Jesus on their terms Well, they're not serving him at all. Patty, in John chapter 13, Jesus, just before he died, washed the feet of his disciples, those who would be apostles, saved Judas. Judas being the first pair of dirty feet that Jesus washed. And he said, what you have seen me do, now you go and do to others. We're servants of God. We don't get to choose how we serve. You know, I did a message this past weekend, Sunday, uh, Patty, you might want to listen to. Um, and, and basically I said, you know, we have a, a volunteer mentality in the church. I'm talking about real Christians, good people, but we volunteer when it's convenient. We volunteer if nothing better is on the horizon. And God says, I don't want volunteers. I want servants. And so even to ask God, why won't you let me do more of what I want, indicates that you've got a real problem in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it will be so much better for you and so much easier if you'll just purpose in your heart and mind to understand that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, it means he's in control. We're no longer are. And when he tells you to do something or when he has a direction for your life, Patty, you don't have the right to say no. Paul writes to the Church of Corinth, we're not our own, we're bought with the price. So to, to expect that God is going to let you do what you want on your terms and then justify that by occasionally serving is, please don't take this personal, it's the mark of an immature Christian. And Jesus wants to take your hand and help you grow up, he wants to help you mature. And the only way you're ever going to find out that his plan is better than yours is by surrendering to his plan. Patty, over my now 28, almost 29 years walking with Jesus, I cannot tell you how many times that I begrudgingly gave in to God's will and discovered that it was infinitely better than anything that I ever imagined. And see, the truth is, You never discover that until you're submitted to the Lord. So he's not going to let you do things you want. 
because his plan is so much better for you. And truthfully, Patty, he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to miss out on the things that he has planned for you. Thank you for the question. Let me go to, this is from Steve. He said, I went to Financial Peace University and I think churches should teach their people the lessons. Well, Steve, good for you. Um, God would want us out of debt. Um, I am familiar with FPU. Uh, I I get uh, uh, emails from them and sales solicitations and and uh, um, uh, Dave Ramsey representatives calling here all the time wanting to come and put on things. But but see, it's great if you're out of debt. It's great that you like it. But it's not the job of the church. The job of the church is to teach the Bible, to teach who Jesus is, to teach people to surrender to him. And here's the thing I can tell you, Steve. People that are submitting their finances to the Lordship of Jesus Christ don't need Financial Peace University. I understand that we get excited about things, we see something that works, and suddenly what we want is everybody to enjoy what we've found to be true. But that's not the job of the church. I cannot imagine, Steve, taking one minute of church time, time when we could be studying the Bible. I can't imagine taking one minute of that time and turning it over to Financial Peace or any other organization that wants to come in and market the church. So, Steve, um, I, I couldn't disagree more. And all the while, I will affirm that what Financial Peace University does is good, and God would love his people, all of us, to be out of debt. Um, The truth of the matter is, that is not the job of the church. That's what Jesus will do for you. And if if he uses FPU, that's great. But truthfully, if you'll just open your Bible, and you'll read what being a good steward of your money involves, Um, that'll be enough. The Holy Spirit will take over, and I promise you the Holy Spirit's financial plan is a whole lot better than Dave Ramsey's. So I hope that makes sense to you. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, has, over the years, broken my heart many, many times is Christians who are so in debt that they're not available to serve. Uh, I've run into Christian families that are working two jobs, uh, mom, two jobs, dad, um, or single moms or dads working two jobs and not spending enough time at home with their kids because they've gotten themselves into such a financial mess that, that they're not available to serve God. And, um, you know, in, in our church, we've told people who have let us know that they're in that kind of a mess. Uh, and then remember, I don't know who gives what here at church, but uh, when somebody comes in and they're in a financial and we, we're counseling, we tell them, look, uh, we're going to be looking. We don't want you giving any money. We want you getting out of debt. That's, that's one of the great ways you can surrender to the Lord. Get out of debt and then say, okay, Lord, I'm free. I'm able to serve. And uh, debt is like a big weight that we're trying to carry around and it inhibits our ability to serve the Lord. So I hope that makes sense to you. Two and a half minutes, I got time for this question from Diana. She says, Pastor Ron, is it okay for a Christian woman uh, to, um, for a Christian woman or wife to work outside the home? Uh, Diana, of course it's okay. Of course it's okay. I don't know who's told you that it's not, but certainly it's okay. Uh, Here's the thing you need to do. Before doing what you want to do, this gets back to the question that Patty asked a few minutes ago. Uh, before doing what makes sense, before uh, saying, well, you know, I want to pursue a career, uh, the only thing that we should do is is go before the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? And, you know, especially if finances are tight, uh, it makes sense to, to have two working parents. Um, but, but sometimes we try to solve our own problems instead of letting the Lord solve the problems for us. And we don't get his mind or his heart on the, on the, on the, the problem. So if God says, go to work, go to work, it is certainly not wrong. Uh, anybody who would judge you for wanting to have a job or a career, um, 
they're trying to play God in your life, and that kind of legalism never, never has any practical benefit. But Diana, if you, uh, if that's what the Lord wants for you, and that's what you want, and if you're married, your your um, husband is in agreement, then go for it. Just be sure that the pursuit of a career doesn't take priority over your pursuit of Jesus and His will for your life. It's always interesting, Diana, that God, uh, through the Apostle Paul, he said that we should grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of God's will for our lives. If you are not growing in the knowledge of God, it's because your job keeps you too busy, then you're busier than God wants you to be. If you can't serve in your church, then you're busier than God wants you to be. If you're not taking time at home to study the Bible, husband and wife together, you're busier than God wants you to be. So submit to His plan and it'll change everything. We have 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the show you know it's christmas time and phones are quiet but we'd love any calls or questions did you have it 340-9585 kenneth i think kenneth this is the most important question that i've had in a long time Kenneth says, Pastor Ron, which of God's attributes do you think is the most neglected or misunderstood? Um, Kenneth, if I could shout it to everybody, every Christian, I would. By far, not even close, it's His holiness. You know, we talk about His love, and we talk about His omniscience, His omnipotence. We talk about uh, all of the things that make God who He is. But the one overarching attribute of God that all of the other attributes hang on is His holiness. If God's not holy, we don't get Him. And you know, Kenneth, in this day and age where grace is so emphasized, I mean, we got hyper-grace churches that are teaching God's people that it's okay to sin because Jesus' blood covers the sin. That's what grace is all about. That's trampling on grace. And I think as Christians, Kenneth, we need to remember every minute of every day that God is a, a consuming fire of holiness. The angels around the throne in Isaiah chapter 6, they weren't saying love, 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 or power, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. They were saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of His glory, but it comes from His holiness. And we just don't teach that. You know, whenever I get questions on this program, Kenneth, about why do people have to go to hell? Why does God have to judge? It's because they don't understand His holiness. Holiness demands justice. And if we forget that He's holy, then holiness doesn't become something of real value for us. So uh, it's, it's something we need to think about all day, every day. If we are focused on the holiness of God, we won't use foul language. Um, If we are focused on the holiness of God, we won't look at filth on a computer screen. When we're tempted, if we're focused on God's holiness, we'll be able to overcome the temptation. If we understand His perfect holiness, we won't ask Him why all the time. So Kenneth, by far, it is His holiness which is the most both neglected and misunderstood. I wish that weren't so, but it is. We like to focus on the fun ones. We want a God of power who can do miracles. We want a God who's quick to have mercy and forgive. But it all comes from 
His consuming holiness. Here is a question from Scott. Why would God allow Jephthah to sacrifice his daughter in Judges chapter 11? Um, Scott, you know, we, we humans, we make foolish vows before the Lord all the time. Have you ever made a promise to God that you couldn't keep? Well, that's exactly what Jephthah did. He got carried away. Uh, he was he was afraid. He was in a difficult situation. He was given the responsibility of rescuing Israel. Um, in, in fact, it, serving people that didn't really want him for any other reason than his strength, his power. And here's what he said to God. If you are with me, if you give me victory, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. God didn't ask him to do that. That was just a foolish sacrifice. So don't focus on the why would God allow this kind of thing. You know, if, if you sinned yesterday, God didn't cause it. He didn't allow it. You just made the choice to do it. Well, in Judges 11, it's the same thing. Jephthah made a foolish vow. Now, here's the thing. He didn't really kill his daughter. The context there makes it really clear, Scott, that that she went out with her friends for a time uh, of mourning. Um, what she sacrificed was her life as a Jewish woman, wife and mother. And she would commit her life to a life of celibacy, a life of service. Um, and that was the sacrifice that was made. Now, it sounds like he sacrificed her, he killed her, but that's not exactly what happened. If, if in fact... He would have done that. Um, uh, God would have stopped him. Um, there would have been no no issue with that. You know, if we, we, we when we look at troubling passages, poor Paula, she's teaching um, Judges 19 and 20 and 21, I think, um, to the ladies when they come back from the break. And she went into the room last night to read it, and she came out and she says, oh, and it was like she felt dirty because she's reading it. Um, you've really got to look at those passages, those difficult ones, in context. And uh, context of Judges 11 makes it clear that um, she knew she would never marry. She went out with her friends to mourn it. Um, but she came back and she just, the sacrifice she made was was in order to make sure that her father kept his vow to God. So she didn't die, um, but she did not become a wife or mother either. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Sue. I know it's a little difficult um, to understand. Sometimes she says, it seems that God is reaching out more to unbelievers than he's helping believers. Do you agree? I'm not exactly sure, Sue, that I understand what you're saying. Uh, it is true that God is always reaching out to unbelievers. I mean, think about it. If if God is is going to reach out to somebody who doesn't know Him, um, that takes precedence over reaching out to me. Again, I don't know what you mean by helping believers, but but it's far more important that that an unbeliever gets saved than it is for God to come rushing to my rescue. Now, obviously, God can do both things, but um, uh, winning the lost is job one for the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, being concerned about people's eternal destiny uh, is, is what we're commanded to do. That's what love really is. So, yeah, he's always reaching out to, to, to unbelievers. Um, but the thing is, if you're walking with Jesus, then he is helping you. Now, I think Sue probably... The situation is that you've got problems in your life and you're asking God to take away your problems and he's not doing that. Instead, what you should be asking is, Lord, show me what you want me to learn in these trials. You know, part of our Christian inheritance is suffering. Paul talks in Philippians about sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. And while none of us like to suffer, the truth is, God always has a purpose and a plan when we do. 
the Apostle Paul cried out three times for God to help him with his thorn in the flesh and three times he was told, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And that lesson, Sue, is something that every believer needs to learn. We need to learn deep in our soul that that God's grace is sufficient. And I think we have a tendency, especially in our church culture here, we have a tendency because we've been sold such a bad bill of goods about God wants you to be healthy, wants you to be wealthy, um, he wants to take away all your problems. Um, we haven't really learned what the Bible says about life. We, we live in a fallen world. Life is hard. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. He said to you, Sue, Sue, they hated me, they're going to hate you. I've come to divide families. We've got to understand what following Jesus means. They beat him. And while probably physically you're not going to be beaten, to think that God's job is just to come to your rescue, it's your beck and call, is to misunderstand and all. So, Sue, if, if that's the, 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 the correct interpretation of your question, great. If not, then please write back and ask um, ask again or give me some more information. But um, yes, God's always reaching out to unbelievers and he's always with believers. That's what's important. Let's go to Jack calling from Lockhart on line one. Jack, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking. My question today is I would like to know a little more about angels, where they come from, how how does God get his angels, and um, and, um, is there there such thing as a guardian angel? I'm just kind of curious about this. Okay, I I can do that, Jack. Thank you. Um, A couple of things. Um, Angels are created beings. Uh, They were created before Adam was created. Uh, We don't know how much before. Uh, but but God, who knows everything, created his angelic servants. Um, he created them um, with, with magnificence, beauty, and power. We know from uh, Ephesians 6 that there are different levels of angels. There are angels that cover the throne of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, there are angels uh, who are called archangels in Scripture. Uh, they are, are are powerful beyond anything that we can imagine. Michael and Gabriel are the only two that are given names. Certainly not the only two archangels, but the only two archangels that are given names. Um, and um, they are made um, in beauty and in, in holiness. Uh, but like all of God's created things, they too had to be given a choice. And the choice that they were given was to serve God. Lucifer, the angel that we now know as Satan, was the ringleader. And he rebelled against God because he didn't want to serve God. He wanted to be God. And he convinced a third of the angels uh, to come with him in his rebellion, to join him in his rebellion. So um, we now have... uh, uh, both good angels uh, and bad angels. We call the bad angels demons. Uh, and they too come in all different levels of power and authority. And they're the ones that are causing so much problem uh, in, in the world that we live in now. Now, relative to guardian angels, um, New Chapter 16, uh, when Lazarus uh, was uh, in, in the story of Lazarus and Richmond, this is not a parable, it's a story. It says, and his angel came and took him uh, into the presence or into paradise, into Abraham's bosom. Uh, the, 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 the problem with that is those who support or who hold to a, a doctrine of guardian angels um, um, use that. But, but that's, I think, missing the context of the passage. So I don't think that there is an angel that's assigned to me. I mean, we watch It's a Wonderful Life, and we know that Clarence was assigned to to uh, to Jimmy Stewart, and and that's great, but but that's just fiction. 
So guardian angels, there's not one angel who is assigned to you, Jack, or who's assigned to me. Instead, we're told that those angels are ever around the throne of God waiting for direction from the Lord. And and uh, so in a sense, angels are guarding us, but it could be different angels, different levels of power in those angels, depending on the circumstance or the problem that you're in. So um, my, my opinion, Jack, is that there are not guardian angels specifically assigned to you or to me, but there are myriads of angels who are always at the beck and call of the Lord, who is always watching out for us. Now, the, the reason that's important in terms of distinction here is because we have a tendency as humans to worship the messenger instead of the one who sent the messenger. And, and a lot of people, Jack, go angel crazy. There's whole books written about angels, and really there's not that much written about angels in the Bible. So it's just all speculation, and it feeds a, a, a kind of a carnal curiosity uh, angels are not to be worshipped. We see that over and over and over in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, when when we see an angel, they're so powerful, you'll see people falling down as dead. Daniel is a good example. Isaiah is another one. And, um, and, and they'll fall down to worship because it's a natural human inclination. And they'll say, no, no, do not worship me, for I am a servant of God just like you are. Uh, the only angel who accepts worship in all of the scriptures is the angel of the Lord, the being a definite article. It's always a reference to Jesus. So when you see an angel being worshipped, sacrificed to, bowed down before, uh, that angel is always Jesus in pre-incarnate form. So um, angels are fascinating, uh, but they are nothing more than ministering servants sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's you and me. Jack, I've got a, I'm nobody else on the line. I've had two experiences that I am 100% convinced uh, are, are, uh, are real angel experiences. Um, one of them, we were in Scotland. Um, uh, we're doing a, a Joy of Jesus uh, trip in Scotland. And one of our, our ladies... Uh, who had been with us for a very long time. She, last year, had to move back to the East Coast. But, um, you know, we're not used to the cars coming on the side of the street that they come in England or Scotland. And um, very narrow streets, and a bus was coming. She looked the wrong way and stepped in the street because she didn't see anything coming. And that bus was going to kill her. And I mean, we could see it happening. It was almost like one of those things where it starts in, in slow motion. You can see it, it happening. And uh, I, I was, in an instant, I was convinced she was dead. I just couldn't imagine it. And um, the, the next instant, literally, she was standing on the curb with no color in her skin and everybody's breath taken away because we knew she was dead. We were all watching it happen. And it just would have been an unspeakable tragedy. And I am 100% convinced that was an angel. The other time, Jack, was when we were in, um, um, Paula and I were driving to, uh, she was driving me back up to Bible College, uh, and, and the roads were really, really dangerous, and snow and ice all over them, and we had no business trying to drive in it, but, oh, we can make it kind of thing, that was just me. And we were going up the mountain, and our, our um, we're at about 4,000 feet elevation, and our truck starts spinning toward the side of the road. Now, there's no uh, guard railings or anything else on the side. And when you get to the edge, you look down, it's a sheer drop, um, a very, very, very long way down. And uh, there was just no way. We're, we're, we're going clockwise um, toward the side of, the, of the, the cliff. And we get right to the front where both Paul and I in the front of the truck can see that we're going over. And I mean, we were dead. There was just no way. And then without explanation, the truck started spinning counterclockwise, very slowly, very controlled, started spinning counterclockwise, put us right back in the proper lane, headed down the mountain. And um, um, uh, there, there's no other explanation for why we're here. 
except God sent an angel. So I hope that helps. Let's go now to Belmont uh, and talk with Beverly on line one. Beverly, where's Belmont? Belmont is out um, by Seguin. Oh, good. Like well, thank you for calling. calling. Good. Okay, my What's question your... is, I was listening okay. in, and um, I heard uh, you were talking about uh, you don't think that angels are aside. And I was just curious, um, like when when you hear the voice of God and He gives you uh, certain instructions, do you think that He would send angels like to protect you, or how does that work? Um, Beverly, I'm convinced that whenever you're in the will of God, there are angels protecting you because we we know for sure that there are demons who are trying to, 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 to destroy the work that God wants to do. So, uh, yeah, he is going to send angels. Um, we also know that, that uh, with biblical background for angels um, interpreting things like dreams. We have it with Daniel, it happened with Isaiah, it happened with Jeremiah. But, but angels um, would be sent for, for dream interpretations. Now, I, I personally don't think that happens anymore because we have the Holy Spirit that none of the Old Testament saints had. Um, but, um, but, but angels are constantly on guard. They're constantly protecting us. And, and they're there because Jesus loves us. So, um, again, we, we have to be careful not to think more highly of the messenger, the angel, than we ought. But we remember every time an angel intervenes, um, then all glory goes to God because because he is the one who sent an angel to protect us. So, yeah, if, if you're going to step out in faith and do God's will, you can be absolutely confident there are angels all around you. Uh, in the invisible realm, there's a, there's a great chapter in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel chapter 10, Beverly, which gives us some insight that we would never have otherwise, and it sort of gives us some insight about what's going on in the spiritual realm behind the scenes, out of the, the ability of humans to see. And it's a vision in chapter 9 uh, that goes all the way down to the end of time, and God sends a, a, a messenger, an angel, to give him the interpretation. And Satan tries to keep that interpretation from getting to Daniel. And whenever um, Satan is involved, um, God sent, in this case, Michael, the archangel, to make sure that the message or the message, the interpretation of the, of the vision was, was able to be delivered. And it says there, now, Michael is, is the archangel. His job is to be Israel's prince or Israel's protector. And as powerfully as he is, he was held up for 21 days before the message got through. So, uh, in a way that we can't understand, uh, the, 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 the demons and the angels are duking it out in the spiritual realm, uh, all under the supervision of God, uh, while there are times when we just have to go along by faith and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to wait for the interpretation. I'm going to wait uh, for something to happen. Um, and, and God is going to send the help that we need. So, Beverly, I hope that that answers your question. That's a great one. Thank you very, very much. And thanks for calling from Belmont. I think that's my first call ever from Belmont, Texas. Thank you. uh Thank you, Beverly. Um, I've got three minutes. Um, Tim says, Pastor Ron, what is the best way to approach someone you strongly disagree with? Um without it turning into an argument. Uh, Tim, the answer to this question will really bless the Lord. Um, uh, we have to remember that it, it takes two to argue. So the Christian, the one who's walking in the Spirit, will simply refuse to argue. I think that's as obvious as it is, it's so hard for us because we're built to want to win arguments. When you say you strongly disagree with someone, but you don't want to turn into an argument, just don't argue. Avoid foolish disputes. Um, 
Don't try to win arguments. Make your case. Do it in love. And then pray and just walk away. But it takes two to argue. It's about debating and arguing. Um, I regularly get emails and stuff from people who want to debate with me. They they heard something on this radio program. Well, I disagree. Let's debate. Uh, I tell them, get your own radio program. You know, I'm not going to debate with you. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the answers and the Word of God. I, I don't want to argue. Oh, you're, you're afraid to, to debate with me. Well, if that's what makes you feel comfortable, then believe what you want. But I just don't want to argue. I, I think our arguing is flesh. It's always flesh. And I don't think that we need to get involved. And Tim, uh, by the way, this is also a great um, um, answer for uh, arguments between friends, arguments between spouses. Uh, just just be a man uh, who refuses to, to argue. Be a peacemaker rather than uh, one who destroys peace. So just refuse to get involved. You know, in our culture, our world, where so much emphasis is placed on our opinions. If what comes out of our mouth is the Word of God, we're going to avoid lots and lots of arguments. Hope that helps. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, tomorrow night, and we'll talk about it again tomorrow, tomorrow night is our annual Children's Christmas Play at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center at 6.30. We would love to see you there. It's free. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, we'll be back. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.